Hey, this is Eric Olivares, pastor at Axios Church in Lakeland, Florida, and this is our podcast. Axios' mission is to point people to Jesus so they can find worth and purpose in God. We hope this message encouraged you and uplifts you throughout your week. Enjoy the message. And we are on week five, and this is the last week of our Jacob series, but it has just been so good, so good, so good. And and this morning, I'm honored to be up here to be able to, to preach, to close it out. I tell you guys this every week that I get to preach. It is an honor to be up here, and I do not take it lightly. It is less of me and more of him. So, so anything I say today, uh, if it's stupid, that's probably me. Uh, okay, I'll take it. If it's good, it's the Lord's. So this morning, we are going to be talking about Jacob and Rachel. Somebody say amen. 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 All right. I know you guys can say that. So so give me some good amens throughout talk back. Let me know if I'm preaching good. If I'm not, let me know as well. Just tell me to move on. But you see, Jacob and Rachel is probably one of my favorite stories uh, in the Bible. Uh, it's probably one of the ones that I see the most of myself and in my life in. And, and normally, um, I'm an action-packed kind of guy, right? Like, I, like, I like, the, like the John Wick movies, if you will. Like, I want action. I want sports. I want all of that. But every now and then, I'm good with like a little sentimental, like a tearjerker. Uh, the Notebook, listen, uh, my wife won't watch it with me because she knows I cry like a baby every time. And, but sometimes I'll, I'll get like this soft spot and she'll look over at me and she'll be like, really, bro? Like, it ain't that serious. Like, move on, right? But I have a soft spot and that's, I think, where maybe this connection with Jacob and Rachel comes into place because it's a, it's a softer story in the Bible, if you will. It's a, it's a story of love, of hard work, commitment, and consistency. And, and, and so I'm going to tell a little bit of my story this morning, a little bit of, of how I got to where I am now. But you see, I've known uh, my wife, Hannah, since I was 14, and she was 11, Kind of creepy, I know, when you say it like that. But we were young. It was okay. We grew up in church together. She was more saved than I was, probably still is, you know. But, but I, was, I was going after the church girl, and I'll never forget it. Every chance, and Pastor Eric, uh, being our youth pastor for a little while there, uh, knows that this is true. Any chance that I would get to try to impress her, I did. Right? Like, I was trying to fight somebody. I was trying to, like, like backflip off of everything. I was trying to do anything and everything I could to impress her, trying to convince her. And little did I know I was trying to convince the wrong one because she liked me, too. She just wouldn't tell anybody. I don't know. She probably told somebody. She just didn't tell me. But some time passed, and we got older. And by time passed, I mean, like, a couple years because your boy was reckless and I tried to live my own life and tried to play like the role of God versus allowing God to live in my life and everything else like that. So, so some time went on and we got older and finally I had like this like aha moment and I said, you know what? I'm going to get serious with this girl. Like I really like her. She now told me she likes me. We're going to do this thing and everything else like that. And her dad was the lead pastor of the church that we were going to. <sighs> Knowing what I know now... Uh, not a good idea. No, I'm just joking. I love it. But it, it works out. It's our story. If anybody comes after my daughter and I'm a pastor of a church, they're getting these hands. I'm not that saved. I'm working on it. 
I don't know how you do it. You got a daughter and whew, pastor's kids. I get it, right? But, but I'll never forget it. I said, you know what? Pastor Paul um, called him up. Actually, I, I think I texted him or something. I, I texted him from my mom's phone. I'll never forget it. And, and I said, Pastor Paul, I'd like to have a meeting with you if possible. First of all, he's the lead pastor of a church. I'm just like some student. Like, that's, that's not how that works, right? Like, maybe an elder of the church or, like, there's order of operations. And I said, you know what, Pastor Paul? And I had been there for a while, so, like, I had some credibility with him. We talked about credibility a couple weeks ago. And so I had built some credibility with him. And I said, Pastor Paul, I need to have a meeting with you. He said, okay, sure. I'll be at the church today, whatever, blah, 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 blah. I was prepared. I got dressed up. I, I remember I had a polo on. I had prepared the perfect speech. Listen, I had practiced. You ever practice your own handshake in the mirror? Like, guys, I know we've all done it. Like, we, no, no, can't do that. Just, okay, I got it. So I'm perfect. I had planned it out. I knew what I was doing, everything. So I walked into his office, and he had the very last office in the church, so I had to go down this long hallway. It seemed like I was walking for forever. I knew what I was about to do. He didn't know, though. So I get ready. I'm walking down the hallway. He's in his office. He's studying. He's doing something. And I said, Pastor Paul, thank you for meeting me today. <laughs> Bro, I'm like... 16, 17 years old at the time. Like, I'm not very old. Like, I'm in here acting like I'm grown and I got life figured out. And I looked at him dead serious. I shook his hand. I didn't even let him sit down. And I said, I want to date your daughter. <laughs> Terrifying is an understatement, okay? As prepared as I was, I was not ready for his answer. Whether it was a good answer or a bad answer, I wasn't ready. But he looked at me with the most serious face. No. <laughs> Bro, why not? Like, I'm dressed up. You, you know me, Pastor. Like, I'm a good kid. I'm like the perfect guy for your daughter. And he said this. He said, I'll make you a deal. He said, if you would wait for Hannah until she is legally able to drive... I'll let you go on a date with her as long as somebody else is there. I was defeated. I had a plan. I had a purpose. I, was, I had a task in mind. I was so defeated, but I also had hope for the future. And if you know anything about our story, we're now married. We're going on seven years together. We have a beautiful family of our own, another kid on the way, and my father-in-law is probably one of my best friends. Uh, you know, we are like, we go back and forth, we bounce ideas off of each other all the time, but I had to go through that. And in this moment, in this season of where Jacob was in life, I can only imagine that his was probably a little bit more intense than mine was. He had just, as, as we've studied for the last four weeks, has gone through a life of deception. All this foolery, all these tricks, all these lies, everything else like that. Or as Pastor Eric has told us week after week, this wild episode of Jerry Springer that he got to call life. And so in this moment, in these, this, this time, running away from home, lying to his parents, Lying to his brother, having to run away from being killed, running the streets, sleeping on 
rocks. And Pastor, I haven't brought it up until this point. I'm glad to see that you're still here because you obviously didn't stain her pillow too bad because she didn't kill you. So prayers work, church. So so keep praying. If you weren't here for that, he put a dirty brick on her white pillow. I thought she was going to kill him on the stage, but she didn't. She's a saint, right? So 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 he's running the streets. He, 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 he's doing these things. He's running away from home, but he continues to push forward. So I want to look at some of our context for today. And if, if you would, just turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29, verses 9 through 13. I'm going to be reading out of the Message Standard Bible this morning. It says, while Jacob was in conversation with them. Jacob is up at the hill and the shepherds are there. It says, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was the shepherd. The moment Jacob spotted Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, he saw her arriving with his uncle's sheep. He went and single-handedly rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the sheep of his uncle Laban. And then he kissed Rachel and broke into tears. Softy. Uh, he told Rachel that he was related to her father, that he was Rebecca's son. And so she ran and told her father. When Laban heard the news, Jacob, his, son, his sister's son, he ran out to meet him, embraced him, and kissed him, and brought him home. Jacob had told Laban the story of everything that had happened. So here in this context, we see that Jacob is trying to flex. He's trying to show off. He's trying to be like I was for somebody that he don't even know yet. But, but this, is, this is how it goes. This is the RSV. This is the Ryan standard version. She rolls up, and he's like, dang, she's fine. Let me show off, right? Like instantly, like for, he, you could tell he's a dude. Like, he's like a dude. Like, we, we show off for the ladies, even when we don't have to show off for the ladies. But he's like, you know what? Let me do that. Uh, I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a show off. And then he transitions to being a softie when he kisses her. He says, what's he do? He kisses her, and he immediately starts crying. Like, bro, you were just Hercules a second ago, and now you're over here crying like a big baby. Figure like your life out. Jeez. But in the moment when his life was falling apart, He's trying to figure out the future. It all changed. Isn't it crazy how we serve such an on-time God? How we'll just bring that one thing that we need, that one thing that is missing from our life, and put it right where it needs to be when it needs to be there. He's never late. He's never early. He's always right on time. That, and that, that, that could be a completely, completely different message uh, that'll preach all day. He's on time. He's never late. He's never early, right when we need it. He knows what we can handle. But let's keep reading. Genesis chapter 29, 14, and 15. It says, then, Jacob, or then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, so Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Laban here is trying to be honorable. He's trying to do the honorable thing and offer to pay. Not because of just 
who's, he's related to and everything else like that. He said, you know what? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to honor you. I know that you're working for me, so let me pay you. And some of us need to remember that. I know I'm guilty of that all the time. Just because you're related to someone or you know someone doesn't mean they should do it for the free, okay? That might not preach. I'm going to stand over here. But listen, I, I'm all about a good deal. But just because you know them doesn't mean they should do it for free. First Timothy Chapter 5, verse 18 tells it this way. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Jesus said it in Luke chapter 10, verse 7. It's in red letters, so it means what? It means it's extra important, so pay attention. It says, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house to house. So here Jesus is talking to the 72 that would go out two by two. And he says, listen, I know you're about to do some work. I know you're about to, to go prepare the land. But you know what? It's okay to be paid for it, right? People want to bless you for that. And that's okay. Enjoy it. Maybe, maybe you want some Old Testament proof of this concept. Leviticus chapter 19, 13 says, Do not defraud or rob your neighbors. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 15 says, Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. So here the offer is extended. Laban says, You know what? Name your price for a day's work. And Jacob, clever in his ways and full of tricks and everything else like that, says, you know what? You know that daughter of yours, the hot one? Not the one Pastor Eric told us about last week, the one that was lazy of eye. Yeah, the baddie. I want her, right? I worked seven years for that one. That's, 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 my, that's my price, Laban, that's my price. I will work seven years for your daughter. So some time passes on. He does it, and, and, and it's crazy to me. I, I had it highlighted in my Bible even before I, I prepared my message. 29, uh, verse 20, says that those moments just seemed like a couple of days. I didn't give this one to Johnny. He's probably like, what? It's not up there. But, but 20 says that those seven years just seemed like a couple of days to Jacob because his love for her was so great. So the seven years go, it's his time to shine. If I've got anyone under the age of like 21 in here, close your ears, uh, right? But verse 29, or, or, or chapter 29, verse 21 says, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. My man had just spent seven years working the field. It was his time to get his promise. Give me my wife. But here comes deception. Ain't it crazy how like we can be doing so much good in life and, and we think that we're acting right and we're on track to do the right thing. And then here comes somebody else on some sideways type, type stuff. And you're like, bro, get out of here with that. Like, I ain't got time for that. Like, I'm being good. I'm blessing people over here. And then you're trying to throw some drama in my life. I don't need it. See ya, bro. Like, I'm out. But that's what Laban does. Laban here deceives and tricks the trickster. Everything up into this 
is that Jacob has been the one doing the deceiving. Jacob is now reaping what he has sowed. The shoe is on the other foot. He gets tricked. Because if you know anything about the story, Jacob doesn't get Rachel. He gets the lazy-eyed one. He gets the one that, you know, wasn't all there, the, 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 the older one, not the one that he made a commitment for. So that brings me to my first point I want to make today, is that the agreement you make will require more of you than expected. You see, Jacob, if, if Jacob would have just stopped for a moment to think rationally about what he was committing to, about what he was agreeing to when he said, I will work for seven years, he could have saved himself some time. I know that this might not be the, the easiest thing for me to admit, but it's kind of like us guys uh, with instructions. We are so hard-headed, we don't ever read any instructions for anything. It don't matter how intense it is. We could have saved ourselves the whole afternoon and given us ourselves some time back, but we don't do it. Because we get so ahead of ourselves we, that we make an agreement, we rush into something, and we don't know what it's going to expect from us. But you see, the culture and the law was that the oldest daughter had to be married before the younger daughter could be married. And there was no way for Jacob to physically make that happen because she was lazy of eye. I don't know if that's the only reason, but her tender wasn't popping, okay? Or as the students say, her DMs were dry. Like, she just didn't have it like that. But Jacob made a rash decision based off of a moment's weakness. So you have to understand what is expected of you when you make an agreement. It's like the fine print. Like, make sure you know what you're getting into before you do that. Don't act on impulse. Proverbs 15, 22 puts it like this. It says, for plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Plans will fail without counsel. Get you some people in your life that you can trust, that respect you, that honor you, that want to see you grow for what God has in your life. I'm not talking about just like a self-help book and like reading and being like, you can do this. You're awesome. You've got this. You're a winner. Like we're all winners. We read the back of the book that at least I don't know. Maybe you guys haven't read the back of the book. That's why I'm a Christian because I hate losing and I've read the back of the book. I'm a winner, right? So I get that. But we've got to get ourselves surrounded by some people that will dig more out of us. They will dig us deeper. But here comes the part that, that I struggled with that I didn't know. How does Jacob get tricked and deceived into marrying somebody else that's not the girl that he fell in love with at the well? Culture and tradition in that time tells us that the women, when they got married, would have been covered head to toe, and the only thing you would have seen would have been their eyes. So here he is. He's being tricked again and again and again. What he just was doing to everyone else is now being done to him. Isn't it crazy how the Bible is so full of like some crazy, like outlandish, like stories? It's like, like there's always some drama or some pettiness or some like God knew how we would be. Not you guys, but you guys are perfect. Somebody smile at me. Yeah, pa Pastor. Oh, no, I'm just. 
But, but here is this drama of this story of, of Jacob being tricked and being deceived. He made an agreement. He, he thought his wages were good. He thought that his promise was good. I'll work seven years and, hand, and, and turn for, for Rachel's hand. And so he gets tricked, and finally he bows up about it, and he says, you know what? I've had enough of this. I'm done. Everything else. So he goes in chapter 29, verse 27, 27, it says that he confronts Laban about it. And this is Laban's response. It says, finish this daughter's bridal week, and then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. From the very rip, Laban knew he was about to get 14 years out of work out of Jacob. My man hustled, right? Like straight up hustled. He knew the tradition of his people. Yo, that's your daughter, bro. You know the tradition of your people. You know that you can't just promise Rachel's hand without first giving Leah a hand in marriage as well. So he knew from the very rip. So he hustled. And a lot of us do that to ourselves. We hustle ourselves. It's not somebody else hustling us. We hustle ourselves. We say, you know what? If I could just get away for a little bit, then I know I'll be good. If I could just get a little bit away from this and just turn my back to it for, for just a little bit, I'll be good. And then that moment of weakness and that moment when we're alone or we're tired or we want to give up, what do we do? We turn around and we go right back to where we were. We hustle ourselves. We don't really know what is expected of a, out of us when we make the agreement. So we start blaming someone else, something else. And I heard it like this once, and I'm sure you probably have as well. But it says, sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. But there's a shift in this story. And it's super crucial, and I've had to learn this for my own life. And it brings me to my second point today that I want to make, is that you have to prepare for the things you pray for. There is no doubt, my, my man just worked seven years, seven long years. Even though it says it seemed like just days for him, he worked. There is no doubt in my mind that he would have prayed and prayed hard for Rachel. Like, bro, like you fell in love with her at first sight. You kissed her at the well. You started weeping immediately. You knew she was the one that you were willing to commit to that. So you would have been willing to commit to prayer. So he says, you know what, I'm going to start praying. I'm going to pray for Rachel. I'm going to pray for the family that I'm going to have one day. I can remember telling Hannah that I was going to marry her for the first time. It was in a youth group parking lot. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this story before. But it was in a youth group parking lot, and I was there. And all of a sudden, like, I'm sitting in my car, and I'm playing a song. And I said, I'm going to marry you one day. And here comes Pastor Jessica running over. Right across the parking lot. I was like, bro, again, you interrupted my moment. Here she comes running over. Hey, what y'all doing over here? Like, we had, like, the whole, like, hands up, like, hand check. Like, what y'all doing? Like, she was younger than I was, and you can't have a guy and a girl in a dark corner or in a car by themselves and everything else like that. And so she comes running over, and she's like, what are y'all doing? I said, nothing. I'm just telling her I'm going to marry her. Oh, okay. Instantly. Like, they probably went home and talked, run, girl, don't do it. 
But I remember praying and praying and praying, and Jacob would have been the same way, praying and praying and praying. And we went through some wild stuff to get to where we are today, but who hasn't, right? But I've learned this, is that sometimes your delay is your preparation. Your delay is your preparation. You might not be ready now. You might not be in the right season. You might not financially be ready, physically be ready, spiritually, mentally, any of those things be ready because we seem to think that we control the timeline of God. But really, we serve an on-time God that knows all things of when we can handle it. Amen? We serve a what? On-time God. Not a day late and a dollar short. We serve an on-time God. So I started doing some studies. I was like, okay, why would, why would we delay? Did you know that on average it takes anywhere from 15 to 21 days for a lotto ticket to be turned in? Why does that matter? You just got millions of dollars. First of all, if I get millions of dollars, I hit the lotto. First of all, you got to play the lotto to win the lotto. But if I did it, Pastor, you're getting a call. I'm telling you to go pick out a church, build a church, something. We're going to make it happen. But it takes on average anywhere from 15 to 21 days for the person to turn in their lotto ticket for this reason. They have to get prepared. The FDIC will only insure $250,000 of your money in a bank account. If you win a lotto for like hundreds of millions of dollars, and then you start going and, and jabbing to everyone, bro, you're going to have friends that you ain't talked to in years. You're going to have family that you ain't talked to in years. You're going to have people coming to you like you guys have been best friends forever. And the bank will only insure 250000 of that. So you have to get prepared. You have to put the things in place so that make sure that you are protected. I, and I believe this wholeheartedly is that marrying Rachel was just the tip of the iceberg for Jacob. That, that he would have been praying for a family. He would have been praying for success. His own livestock, his own wealth, his own riches, his own everything. And what seemed like a delay in that moment, what seemed like, like being tricked and deceived and label, Laban hustling him was really God prepare, preparing him for the next season of life. Psalms 37 verse 4 says it like this. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. People get so caught up in the latter part of that verse that they say, God's going to give me the desires of my heart. But they skip the beginning part where it says, take delight in the Lord. They forget that they got to prepare for the things that they've been praying for. God, I want you to bless me. God, I want you to use me. But they don't ever take a season to get ready for that. And I'm closing. So if we'll just play some soft music. We get so wrapped up. We get in our own ways. We get so mad. Is this happening? Is this going on? Did they really just say this? Did, did, did they say this about me? How could they? But do we ever stop for a moment 
to imagine what would have happened if Jesus had dropped the cross. If Jesus had just had enough. It was like, I'm done. I've had enough. Y'all can take it back. I don't want it. Y'all figure it out. All you people do is lie, trick people, steal from people. You're over here deceiving people, getting them to work for you for free. All you do is hurt people. What if you would have just said, you know what, I've had enough. You people don't change. All you do is run around and lie about each other. You spread rumors about each other generation after generation. You are this and you are that. I'm done. I've done nothing but good to you. I've been nothing but positive and bless you in your life. And this is how you repay me. You see, every single one of us in this room has thought like that. Or said things like that. Acted like that. We said, you know what? That because this happened, can't move forward. I can't get ready for that next season that God is preparing me for. But yet, we can't ever imagine Jesus doing that. Of Jesus getting so tired and so caught up in the nonsense that he would have dropped the cross. But the reason he does what he does is so that we can be that example of Christ. That we can push on. That we can move forward. You see, Jesus doesn't just want to love you in the moment that you're in now. In the season that you're in now, when things are going right, when you're showing off or you're, you're providing work and you're, you're, all things are good. He doesn't just want to love you then, but he wants to continue to transform you in love. So he says, you know what? I'm going to carry the cross so that you can be that example. In this season of deception the season of life when you're having to come out of everything that you know is wrong and you're moving into what is right, I want to be that person for you. You've committed to some things. You've done some things that maybe you didn't quite know were going to take this much out of you. You haven't really began to prepare for the things that you're asking me for. But he says, you know what? I'm going to love you anyways. I'm going to keep you close anyways. When people start gossiping about you, when people start hustling you and everything else, I'm going to love you. I will carry the cross for you. So Jacob lives a crazy life. A life of tricks, deceptions, lies, stretching. There is more taken out of Jacob than he ever intended it to. But we ultimately know that his biggest desire was to be used by God. To love God. To have a relationship with God. And I'm not up here to tell you that it's not, you know, 
have, have your goals, have your aspirations, reach for things. If you want to, you know, pack on 30 pounds of muscle, do it. It's great. That's not my, my, my goal right now. You know, if your goal is to shoot less than 100 and golf, pastor, do it. You know, if it's to open a business, do it. If it's to feed the community, do it. But your biggest desire in life should be to know God and love him intimately. Regardless of what the world throws at us, our biggest desire should be to know God and to love him. Thank you again for joining us here at Axios. Hey, to hear more messages just like this, go ahead and subscribe to this channel. If you want more information about Axios, go to axioschurch.com. There you can get more information, give, and connect. Remember, we love you, and we're in this together.